Okay, what would you consider a crisis in your life? Okay, what would you consider a crisis in your life? So when you look back over your life, uh, you know, you, 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 you reflect over the last few years, ask yourself, when do you feel that life was actually at a crisis point? Uh, when you felt that life was sort of falling apart? Uh, I'm sure all of us can think of something uh, where we felt that life was a crisis. And I've spoken to many people before, and usually if they come to you and they say, oh, you know, my life is really in a crisis, they will have in mind something like a, a failed exam or a failed relationship, or a loss of job, or maybe financial difficulty. But it's very rare that someone actually comes up to me and says, oh, you know, I'm having a, a spiritual crisis. Uh, people may be very irregular at church, irregular at Bible study, struggling with their sins, uh, willfully doing things which they know are wrong. But yet, very few people will come to me and say, oh, you know, I'm struggling spiritually, I'm having a spiritual crisis. Now, why is it that people are able to see crisis in so many areas of their life except for what would be the most important area, the relationship with Jesus Christ? Why do we have this blind spot in terms of being able to see crisis in our life? Well, I think the answer is found in today's passage in the book of Hebrews. Now, I think that why showed in the sermon last week the style of the book of Hebrews, the, the genre of what we're studying when we look in the book of Hebrews, is not so much like a, a, what we are normally used to in the Bible. It's not a letter. Okay? It's not written in a letter form. And neither is it like a historical narrative, like a gospel, the book of Acts. But it's more like a written sermon. And like what I was saying last week, it was probably sent to groups of Christians, early Christians, and it was read out in their churches. Now, we don't really know why it is that uh, the name Hebrews was given to this book. All we know is that if you look at the earliest historical ancient manuscripts which uh, came with the book of Hebrews, it said to the Hebrews. Okay, it's not actually part of the, 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 the book of Hebrews, but it was the title to the Hebrews. So what we presume, and I guess when you look at the book of Hebrews, is that the book of Hebrews was written initially to Christians who came from a Jewish background. They were Jewish Christians who came from a background steeped in the temple, the law, and the sacrificial system. So as we look at the passage here, we see that this sermon doesn't really begin, and uh, he doesn't really have uh, much interest in starting with an introduction, telling you some humorous story or something, but he goes straight to the point. And right from the very beginning of Hebrews, he begins with what he's really interested in, as we will see through the whole book of Hebrews, which is Jesus Christ. So turn to me in your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 1, because we're going to start from there. And you can see right from the beginning, his sole interest is in Jesus Christ. And what does he say? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. And after He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, right from the very beginning, He tells us that Jesus is really, really important. And why is Jesus really, really important? He's really important because he is the final revelation of God. He is the final and last way that God speaks to us. 
Now, uh, one of the really interesting things about Hebrews, and, and I hope that you can find it as you're listening to the sermon and reading the Bible studies, is that it's so full of depth in terms of its spiritual understanding. And what he says here is that God spoke through the Old Testament in many ways and at various times through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. There is a finality, there is a progressive fulfillment found in Jesus Christ. So if you look up here on the slide, uh, to help you, uh, okay, this year I've got this new plan, right? My, 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 my LCDs are going to be more visual, okay? Okay, so if you see here, he says that when, when God spoke in the past, he spoke in various ways, and at different times through the prophets to the people. And if you go through the Old Testament, that's what God has done. Uh, he has spoken directly through the prophets. He spoke to them through dreams sometimes, through visions. Uh, if you look in the Bible study, he even spoke to a donkey. right? And then he spoke through, through different ways. And, and that's all captured for us in the Old Testament. But the term, in many ways, and various ways, and many times, has with it the idea of bits and pieces which are incomplete in themselves. The Old Testament is not any less true or less God's word or less worthy, but there is a sense and understanding in which there is an incompleteness in the Old Testament by itself. When God speaks in incomplete ways, looking forward to its completion. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying in the past God in this spoke in these ways, but it was incomplete, but it was looking forward to its completion in Jesus Christ. Okay, which is the next slide. And that's what he's saying, this last days, we live in the last days. Right? The last days are not ahead of us, these are the last days. We live in the last days and there are no more days after this. God has spoken for its, his final word in Jesus Christ. And he goes on uh, in uh, verse the second half of uh, verse 2 onwards, all the way to verse 3, to show us why it is that Jesus Christ is the final word. Jesus Christ is the final word because he makes six powerful points about why Jesus is supreme. And if you look up here, um, what I've done is, I've just taken the passage and I've broken it up into six points. He makes six points about the nature of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the place of Jesus today. Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. He is the Son who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, who sustains all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay, this was last week's sermon, so I'm not going to go through it again. But you see that Jesus is really impressive. Who is Jesus? Well, he is God, isn't it? He's the exact representation of God's glory. Uh, he is the essence of God. That's essentially what it says. That in his essence, in his very true nature, he is God. Okay, that's a, in theological terms, that's an ontological statement, right? It is something in yourself that cannot be changed. He is God, cannot be changed. What has he done? He is, he has made the universe and he sustains the universe. And what is he? What is his title? He is he is the heir of all things and he sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now these are all very powerful things and this is what we learned last week. But this is where things become a bit strange for us this week. Because you sort of think that with all these great 
things about Jesus, you'd go on and say something very profound, something very significant, something very mind-blowing. But instead, what does the writer of Hebrews talk about? Angels. Right? Angels. Verse 4. So, because of all these great attributes of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. How weird is that? Uh, I don't know about you, but when is the last time that you thought of thought about angels? And what is the last time you thought of angels compared to Jesus? Uh, when is the last time that you tried to evangelize someone using angels? I mean, we don't think of angels, and who cares about angels? But obviously, to those Jewish Christians in the past, angels were a really big deal. And we will see as we come to chapter 2 why it was such a big deal to them. But, as we will look at chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews makes a very big deal about Jesus being greater than the angels. And he makes a few very powerful points from the Old Testament why Jesus is greater than the angels. Okay, so the next slide. Okay, so the rest of chapter 1 is all about Jesus being greater than the angels. So what does he say? Well, in verse 4 he says, So Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father, and you will be my son. Now, if you look at this passage, um, what is the name that is given to Jesus? What, what name is he talking about? It is the name of the son, isn't it? That's why it says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? And the answer is, none. God never spoke to an angel that way and called an angel his son. Now, the question that we should be asking if we're really thinking about it, and you are sort of got your mind engaged, is how can God give the name, or how can Jesus inherit the name of son? Isn't Jesus always the son of God? How can he inherit the name of Jesus Christ? How can he be given the name of son? Isn't he always the son? So anyway, uh, this is what this is really helpful. If you ever get a chance, you should buy this book. Actually, people don't buy books anymore. You should download this book. The Evangelical Dictionary of Theology uh, is very helpful if you ever want to uh, find out more and read the Bible in a deeper level. But if you go and look up the Son of God here, the Son of God can be used in two ways. The first way is, it describes the relationship between Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. And Jesus is always the Son of God. There is never a time where Jesus was not the Son of God. But, as it says here in this Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, at the same time, the Son of God is also a title. It is the title of enthronement, of kingship. And that's why the writer of Hebrews quotes these two uh, Old Testament passages. One of them is from the book of Psalms, and the other one is from 2 Samuel 7. And both of these passages are what you call enthronement passages. They are passages which speak of 
the enthroning of a king. And this king is called the Son. Okay, so the first passage is in Psalm chapter 2. And you notice, this is what it says. The one enthroned in heaven who is God laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my, my king. Okay, that's why this is an enthronement psalm. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. See then, and so what is it really saying here? This psalm is actually saying that this king who is installed by God, part of his enthronement is to be given the title son. Right? Today, I have become your father, you are my son. Take the position of king as the son. See, it's a title. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says the same thing again in the enthronement passage. The Lord declares to you, which is King David, okay, King David, if you remember, long, long in the past, was one of the great kings of Israel, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your, day, your days are over and you rest to your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Again, another enthronement passage, where God speaks to King David and says, look, there will be one who will come, and I will establish his kingdom forever. He will be my son and I will be his father. See, so what's actually happening here is Jesus is greater than the angels because he has the title of son. He is enthroned in heaven and ruling with God. And no angel is ever doing that. See, come back again to verse 3. What does it say in verse 3? It said that after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay, so if you look at the next picture, okay, I'll tell you all these pictures. Right? So where is Jesus right now? Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. Yeah, okay, my picture reference is correct. Okay, Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. And what is he doing there? He's not reading the Straits Times, he is ruling at God's right hand. He is enthroned as king and he has taken his rightful position as God's son. So Jesus is greater than the angels, because he is the Son, the heavenly King. But the writer of Hebrew goes on and makes another point. And then he says, in verse 6, And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all angels worship him. And in speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But this, about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, you, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. 
See, what is it saying here now? Again, it's saying that Jesus is greater than the angels. He is greater than the angels not because he is the son and the king, but because he is like God. See, it says there, and there's a quote there from Psalm 104, that angels are like spirits and his servants flames of fire. Now, he's not saying that angels are literally like the wind or angels are like the fire, but they are like fire and they are like the wind. Now, what is wind like? And what is fire like? Well, their essential nature is that they are temporary. Okay, it's very windy one minute and then it's still. The fire is very great one minute and then it dies out. The angels are transitory and temporary like that. But Jesus is not like that. See, Jesus is actually like God. He is permanent. That's why he says that in verse 11 and 12, all these things will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Now, I know that some of you, um, uh, you know, you make fun of me because I always wear the same shirt every Sunday, right? And you always see me wearing this shirt until it wears out. Then I'll buy another shirt and then I'll wear it. See, the thing is, it doesn't matter what shirt I wear. So, over the history of my preaching career, I've worn many blue shirts. So, I don't know, I've got a $200 Italian shirt. But you all don't notice what it is. It all looks the same anyway, right? And then I recently bought a $65 Uniqlo shirt. But whether it's $200 Italian shirt or $65 Uniqlo shirt, over time, a year or two, you know, the, the top starts fraying, or the, you know, the, the cufflinks start fraying. My wife will say, I think it's time for you to buy a new shirt. And that's the same thing, you see. That's the way that the world Creation and the angels are compared to the eternity of Jesus Christ. See, sometimes people say that, oh, you know, uh, there is no trinity in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard, you know what trinity is, right? God, Son, Holy Spirit. Some people say, oh, you know, trinity is an invention of the New Testament. But it's not the invention of the New Testament. So here in this passage, in Psalm chapter 45, which is quoted in um, verse 8, it actually says that Jesus is God together with God the Father. In the Old Testament, in Psalm chapter 45. So if you look up here, in Psalm 45, the Psalm is about a Messianic king. Now we always think of the Messianic king, or they always thought of the Messianic king before Jesus came as a human being. Right? This king, like King David, will come and he will rule like the Roman Empire. But look at what? The psalmist says, the psalmist says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. He calls the king God. That means that the king, the messianic king, is not just, is not human like us, he is God. And that's why it says there, in verse 7, therefore God, your God, God the Father, will set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. See, there is trinity in the Old Testament. There is trinity in the Psalms. Jesus Christ is fully God, just as God the Father is fully God in His essence. And therefore, He is greater than the angels because the angels are like wind, they're like fire, they're temporary and they'll pass away, but Jesus is forever. So Jesus is great, greater than the angels. He's the Messiah King. 
He is God in Himself. Now this is the teaching section. And now we come to chapter 2, which is the application section. So for you guys who are doing the Bible study, you know, the Bible study makes a great deal about how the structure of Hebrews is very organized and logical. He will always look at the teaching first, and then he will look at a call to action. He will look at the theology, and then he will look at the application or the exhortation. So now that we know that Jesus is so supreme, greater than the angels, what is the application for us, as well as for the original hearers of Hebrews. Well, there are really three main things that he talks about here. In verse two, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Now, we know here that this part is linked to the earlier chapter, the teaching section, because of the word therefore, right? So therefore, because Jesus is the Son of God, He is by nature God, He is greater than the angels, what should they do? What should we do? Well, it says that we must pay most careful attention. This is an, an instruction, a command, an imperative. This is not a, a, an if or a but. This is not some uh, word of wisdom, some piece of good advice. This is something that we must do if we are Christians. We must pay most careful attention. Now, as we go through the book of Hebrews, we see that the listeners, those early Christians, those Jewish Christians, were not paying attention to Jesus. They were starting to pay attention to other things. They were paying attention to going back to the law, to the temple system, to other ways of being saved. They were paying attention to the persecution of the world, the difficulties that they face. Now, we might not face those difficulties. I, I'm, I don't think that we have a temptation here to want to go back to the law. Okay, we all like our chastu and our prawns too much. But we do have that same temptation to not pay attention to Jesus Christ and to pay attention to other things. See, we live in a world which is constantly trying to get our attention. You know, I, I can't sit for just a couple moments without my SMS trying to get my attention or my WhatsApp. You sit on your computer and then there pop up things coming out, new email notification. You, know, you, you, you walk around, the advertisements trying to get your attention on the, on the buses, on the taxis. You walk to Orchard Road, there are these things blaring at you from the big screen. Everything's trying to get your attention. You know, it's just like when you watch TV, you know, sometimes I watch TV and every time the advertisement comes on, I have to turn it down because the advertisement is always louder and brighter and, and, and more noisy than the rest of the show I'm trying to watch. See, everything's always trying to get our attention. But in the, in the life that we live, live in, how much attention then do we then pay to Jesus? Are, are we losing focus of paying attention to Jesus and paying attention to other things? Maybe work, maybe a hobby, maybe a relationship, maybe even health, even good things. But that's the temptation that the book of Hebrews is warning us against, isn't it? Maybe that's why it is that we never realize that we are in a spiritual crisis. We realize that we're in a financial crisis or a, or a health crisis or a relationship crisis, but we don't realize we're in a spiritual crisis because we've forgotten how important Jesus is. 
See, if something is really, really important to you, you will pay attention to it. But when you forget how important it is, then you stop paying attention to it. You pay attention to, to other things which you think are more important. But when you look at the book of Hebrews, even in the first chapter, you see how important Jesus must be to us. He creates the world. He sustains the world. He is God. He is the author of our salvation. He purifies our sins. If we do not pay attention to Him, then it's to our great loss. So what are you paying attention to? What are you paying most attention to in your life? Are you putting a priority on Jesus? Reading His Word, praying, meeting up for Bible study, having fellowship with other people. Unfortunately, people stop paying attention to Jesus for the strangest reasons. I've had people coming to me and saying, oh, you know, I I can't come to church, I can't go to Bible study because I have Chinese lessons. I I find that very hard to identify with because I I, I wouldn't give up Bible study for Chinese lessons. People go start going to church or you know, having fellowship, or they start falling away to Jesus. Why? Because they're paying attention to uh, golf lessons, or dancing lessons, or uh, some other hobby lessons, gardening lessons. But surely the most important thing that you must be paying attention to is Jesus, isn't it? Because if you fail to pay attention to Jesus, you've forgotten who He really is. The second verb is, you must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what you have heard, so that you, so that we, do not drift away. Now, I really like this word, drift away. Who would have recognized that this meaning of this word, drift away, has so many nuances? But anyway, I was looking at what this word, drift away, means, and it literally means something that is gradual. Something that is imperceptible, almost unnoticeable, that happens. It's the idea of like drifting away, but you don't even notice it's happening. I know the Bible study used the illustration of a boat, which is not securely anchored to the pier, and slowly, slowly it drifts away, but you don't notice it until the boat has drifted far away from the dock. See, no one wakes up one morning and says, okay, I've decided today that I will not be a Christian. Yeah, I just wake up one morning, okay, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. That never happens, right? It only happens because it was a process which started months, maybe even years ago, because you drifted away. That imperceptible, slow, almost unnoticeable process in which you became more and more remote from Jesus and listening to his word. I remember we did the marriage counseling uh, course uh, by this guy, Keith Condi. I, I recommend it very highly. Some of you went. And he quoted this song by uh, this Australian singer. And uh, it just so happens I have the album. But there's this song which says, From small things, big things come. From small things, big things come. And he's saying it for marriage, but it's the same thing for our Christian walk, isn't it? If you make a lot of small things in your life, small neglects, small things, ultimately the big thing will come. 
So, you know, you take a few liberties with your Bible reading, you take a few liberties with your sin, take a few liberties with your church going, take a few liberties with your Bible study attendance. Then eventually, over time, you drift right on away from God. See, again, if you look at this word, drift away, has the connotation of persistently neglecting something. Right? Persistently neglecting something. So are you persistently neglecting your Christian walk because of neglect? Are you persistently neglecting it? You know, I remember meeting up with someone a few months ago and they said, oh, you know, I don't think I'll be a Christian anymore. God doesn't feel real to me. And I said to this person, well, this is what I told you how many years ago. I said, you know, because you, you're, you're, you're neglecting all these things over time, you will not be close to God anymore. Right? Because you've persistently neglected to remind yourself who Jesus is. You've persistently neglected fellowship with other people. You've persistently neglected to address sin in your life. And over time, you just drift away. So in your own life, are you persistently neglecting? You know, the unthinking, small sacrifices that you're willing to make with your relationship with Jesus. And over time, there's almost this imperceptible drift away from Jesus. It's really unnoticeable in the beginning, but right at the end, you are far away from Jesus Christ. Well, chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, tells us what happens then, right? So this is the third verb. It says, For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience receives its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And that's the, the main verb of verse, this sentence, right? Verse 3. How can you escape? So now we understand why it is the writer was making such a big deal about Jesus and the angels. Because in Jewish thinking, in terms of the Jewish background, they understood that angels were the way, was the way that God mediated or spoke uh, a lot of the message to the Old Testament prophets, especially the law. So if you look up here, Exodus chapter 3, right. Okay. So now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but did not burn. Okay, next one, in Galatians chapter 3. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Okay, so in terms of Jewish understanding, uh, we don't really think about it very much. We just read the Old Testament and there it is. But in terms of Jewish understanding, they felt that the angels had a significant part to play in the transmission of the law and the Old Testament to God's people, to the prophets. So that's why here the writer says, look, if God had spoken through the angels and brought the law to people, and people when they disobeyed the law were punished, then how much more if we 
do not listen to the sun. Because the sun is so much greater than the angels. If we ignore the angels and people are punished, then how much more if you ignore the sun? See, this is a really important point, isn't it? Because if we do not pay attention to Jesus, if you allow yourself to drift, then it's not as if nothing happens. You will drift away from salvation. So the principal of my theological college, he preached on this passage. I I heard him preach. He gave the same illustration about how uh, if we drift away from Jesus Christ, we drift away from salvation. But we do not just drift and end up in the middle of the lake or the ocean. But we end up drifting to our destruction. Right, so, so I put this uh, animated sequence. Okay, see it works. Huh? Okay, next one, next one. Okay, okay. Keep going. Okay. Okay. okay, see? So, in Jesus Christ, if you are anchored to Jesus Christ, if you are tied to Jesus Christ, you are saved. Salvation is there because He has provided purification for sins. But if you allow yourself to drift and drift and drift and drift away from Jesus, you are drifting away from salvation towards eternal destruction. So therefore you cannot drift away from Jesus and you must pay most careful attention to Jesus and what he says. See, in conclusion, uh, you all know that uh, I don't have a Facebook account. And I used to have a Facebook account once before. And I remember I was Facebook friends with my cousin who lives in Switzerland. And he would have all these interesting posts on his Facebook page. And I remember once I, I took one of his posts and I reposted it because I thought it was really good. And there was an advertisement uh, in Switzerland and it began with these four girls in a car. They're all very young and vibrant, all full of life. And they were driving, they were having a great time. And I don't know where they're going to to the snow or whatever, and they were laughing, and they were uh, talking, and they were texting in the car. Uh, now the problem was, uh, one of the girls who was texting was also the driver. She was texting too. So she didn't pay attention to the road, and uh, it's an advertisement, I suppose, for road safety, and, and because she wasn't paying attention to the road, and she was texting at the same time, she started drifting ever so slightly ever so slightly to, to the me- middle lane, the median of the road. You know, they, they, they just have lanes, right? It's just two lanes of road. So she just drifted ever so slightly across to the other side of the road. And then, uh, as a result, they hit another car and the car just spun. And uh, I don't know about these Swiss or German people, but they're very graphic in their advertisements. Uh, and you can sort of, in slow motion, see how they all break their necks and hit their heads on the window and all end up dying or whatever. But the, the point was very clear, isn't it? The point was you need to pay attention to what really matters. Because once you take your eyes off what really matters and pay attention to the relatively trivial things, even just drifting off a bit uh, and getting sideswiped by another car led to a great tragedy for, I guess, those four girls. The same thing for us as Christians. See, we have Jesus Christ, we have our Saviour, He is creator of the world, he is God in himself, he sustains all things, but we can start taking it for granted. We forget how important Jesus is for us. And instead of paying attention to Jesus, we start paying attention to the more trivial things in life. So yes, work is important, health is important, recreation is important, but 
in the scope of eternity, it cannot be more important than Jesus. So are you paying most careful attention to Jesus? Or are you paying attention to the trivial things and have you drifted off? And as a result of drifting off, you find that you are actually getting further and further and further away from Jesus. Until finally, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, maybe not even five years, but ten years down the road, at the end of your life, you have drifted far away from Jesus and there is no salvation for you, but only judgment. So I think the warning of Hebrews is very clear. Jesus is so many of those great things. He is greater than the angels. He is eternal. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He is God's Son. He rules over us. Are you paying attention, most careful attention to Him? Or are you drifting away from Him? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to remember and to remind ourselves just how important Jesus is for us. Help us to see that He is God in Himself, in His very nature. He is our Saviour. He is the one who died for our sins. He is eternal in every way. He is our ruler. He is our sustainer. He is the creator of this world. Help us to see that because of who Jesus is, there can be nothing more important in our life. That we must pay most careful attention to Him and His words to us. We pray for each and every one of us here that we are not drifting away that if we are drifting away, that we will be able to see uh, the persistent neglect in our life and to take urgent and swift action. And we pray truly that as a result, we will all receive this great salvation and that we will know you and the glory that is awaiting us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.